Okay, so just a couple things before this episode begins. Uh, number one, this is the first episode that's also going to be going out on the Criterion Cast Master Audio feed. So if you haven't heard us before, I certainly hope you enjoy it. Um, send us any feedback. We're always uh, very interested to hear what listeners think. And if you are kind of an old listener, don't worry, we're not going anywhere. The feed will be the same. Although, if you haven't subscribe to the Criterion Cast Master Audio Feed, perhaps you might want to check it out because obviously you're going to get things like the Eclipse Viewer and all the news that goes on with the Criterion Collection and episode-specific discussions. So it just seems like a natural home for us all to be on that one feed. But just again, to reiterate, we're not going anywhere off our own feed and we'll still be kind of releasing shows as and when we see fit. So the second thing is a slight issue with Joachim's side of the recording in this episode. Um, he's assured me that we, we, we've recorded some episodes since and he's told me it just appears to be this one. We don't, one of those kind of anomalies that often happens sometimes. So without any further ado, I will, uh, so without any further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode on Simon Killer. experience with uh, Campus's previous work? Um, I don't actually. So um, I went into this completely kind of campus free as it were. Mm. Um, I know that he and uh, two other filmmakers named Sean Durkin and Josh Mon, they created the film, uh, the production company that is Borderline Films. And they also produced Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. Have you heard about that one? I have and I own it and it was part of a um, kind of one of these three for 17 quid Blu-ray offers on mm. Amazon and I couldn't think of anything else to get so I actually picked that up but I haven't actually got around to watching it and um, shame on me actually because I should have watched it in preparation for this but um, yeah like I own it not watched it so looking forward to having seen this now I'm really looking forward to seeing it as well. Yeah it's really good one really atmospheric yeah same as this one and Antonio Campos he also made a film outside the production company called After School which deals with similar themes as Simon Killer with this sort of a young male psychosis and um, someone trying to inhibit their own violent impulses and depression and attempting to, like, connect to his classmates. So you can definitely see um, his style in that film as well, with the long shots and the slow pans. But um, talking about Simon Killer, what are your kind of first impressions going through this one? Uh, yeah, it was a strange one, Simon Killer, because when I heard it was going to be in the Masters of Cinema collection, it, it, you, I'm always surprised sometimes when they have such kind of contemporary films in the collection, because um, obviously you associate Master Cinema with kind of classical cinema and kind of, you know, kind of oddities from yesteryear. And when this was out, so I was a bit kind of taken back with it because I hadn't heard of it. Um, I saw the trailer for it, and I think I actually spoke about this on a previous episode. And I know you should never, ever judge a film by its trailer but I remember seeing the trailer I thought oh, I'm really it doesn't really kind of do much for me this um which is a stupid way of of thinking anyway and uh, shame on me for even kind of going down <laughs> that route but I, I there's only I can have to kind of slightly boil now but this was I, I guess I, I watched it last night and it was one of the, the first films I've watched on my new projector and mm. The first thing that kind of took me away was I was really pleased that it was a widescreen frame. And it suddenly, I thought, oh, good, you know, give it a good trial out. And kind of for, for the first half hour, I think I was sort of, I was more kind of just digging the visual style of the film, you know, like the mention of the slow pans and the zooms. And I was loving the fact, apart from always having an epileptic fit within the first two minutes when it started, kind of the screen started flashing. But I, I was sort of watching it and I was, I was I found myself acutely aware of the fact that I was really enjoying the filmmaking, but I wasn't quite so sure about the story. Hmm. And the more I got into Simon Killer, I, I sort of thought, I don't like any of these characters at all, really. Um, I didn't find any of them particularly kind of sympathetic. And I was sort of thinking, I'm not enjoying this at all. And I, I, don't, think, I, think, I don't think enjoyment's necessarily a word you can really kind of call with, with Simon Killer. I think it's a film you more kind of appreciate, would really be more apt. And I kind of, I was quite surprised. I checked how long I've been watching it. I was like, God, I've been watching this for an hour and 10 minutes and it feels like I haven't been watching it for that long at all. Mm. And come the kind of the, the closing credits, 
I kind of went downstairs and I thought rather than just sort of kind of a knee-jerk reaction to it, I had a glass of wine and a bit of a sit-down and think. And it sort of hit me like this wave that I had really, really liked this film, um, despite my kind of initial reservations about it. And I, I, I read a few kind of quite disparaging reviews of it, which I thought was slightly harsh. And I, I kind of woke up this morning with, with the same feeling, really, that I... I do really like Simon Killer, even though I don't like anyone in it. And it's a film which I, I think I can see myself going back to quite frequently. I, I'm, I'm very eager to watch it again, which when you have that initial feeling about him, that can only be a good sign, I think. Mm. Um, I had sort of a similar reaction. I didn't have that um, going into the film of um, a negative point of view. But um, I went in kind of thinking that this has received some really harsh reviews, as you said, on the, online, and people talking about how they found it incredibly pretentious, and that kind of spurred me on to even like the film more, I think, because the, the people that are calling this pretentious, I, you can, I, I think you can sort of use that same term on them as well. Well, I mean, that's just kind of a, a brief pause. When anyone uses yeah. the word pretentious in terms of criticising a film, I instantly, my initial reaction is you don't know the meaning of the word. Mm. And that's how I, I often find it. And it's, it's, it's a word that gets banded around a lot. And I think it's incredibly overused. It's incredibly un, misunderstood as well. And I, I don't think this is a pretentious film at all. I, did, I don't see, I, I can't see how that's a legitimate criticism of it. How, how do you define pretentiousness? Um, my kind of pretentious is if well, my, my kind of definition of it is basically it's kind of aspiring to be something you're not. Mm. I, I, that's how I see pretentiousness. I don't think this, and, and to, to, to use it in terms of of this film, I, I can't possibly see how how anyone could could level that criticism against him. I mean, what's your kind of what, how do you kind of, kind of sit on the pretentious debate, as it were? I, have, <laughs> I don't think I have that much of a think about it but uh, immediately what comes to mind is not only someone trying to come off as something they're not but also having an air about it that feels like it's it's a priv- or it's it's something that is uh, innate in them uh, not something they're working at but something that is just something that they feel comes naturally when you see that it's it, it handles so much work behind it yeah, I mean, if, let's, 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 let's say that Campbell's had come out and said he had made the greatest film about the exploration of isolation yeah, exactly. to ever be put to celluloid. And the fact that this film, it goes to, to heights of intellectual prowess that if, if you don't get that, then you must be some kind of Luddite. Then perhaps you could say, well, you know, he, he's being incredibly pretentious and this film is an abject failure. But I, don't, I, don't, I haven't seen anything, any statement such as that. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was really surprised by some of the vitriol um, thrown at this, actually, I have to be honest with you. Well, um, the first experience from my film was that I, or from watching the film, was that I was immediately put into Simon Killer's shoes, just in terms of being this figure in Paris alone, walking around with the music in my ears, looking at, um, looking at art, looking at people, um, just trying to love the atmosphere of the film. Um, that, that's, it reminded me of when I used to travel around in Europe and travel around in France and just kind of my way of discovering the cities through kind of taking ownership of the city with listening to my own music and just shutting out some of the, some of the city soundscapes and just enjoying it visually. And seeing Simon going through that same thing was kind of a door opener for me. Um, and further on, I was further intrigued by the visual style, as you mentioned, and then noticing that you don't have any sort of sympathy for any other characters, but you have so much interest and you're so engaged and you want to discover them. You want to try to understand their motivations or try to understand really what's lurking beneath the surface there, I found it incredibly just captivating, a captivating experience, really. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Because it's, it's rare when you watch a film that you take it for granted, don't you, that when, when you watch a film, 
you're gonna you, you're supposed to love the characters. Yeah, and, and that's a given, you know. And I always, I always go with the Tom Hanks model on this because Tom Hanks films, you they are, they are set up so you love the character he plays, all of them. He, he seems to have this kind of way. All his films, you, you're meant to kind of look at him and think, oh bless, you know, what a lovely guy. And <laughs> that's how most films work. And with Simon Killer, um, this lad, I, I wasn't. There was nothing about his personality I liked as a person. He was kind of, I mean, the amount of times you always got a punch in the face and it, you, you sort of thinking, yeah, yeah, I was quite happy when he did get a bit of a kicking. You know, he pretty deserved it for being such a smart ass. <laughs> but he's just this horrible person, um, you know, messed up, walking around. But even when he was kind of, you know, kind of with Victoria, the prostitute as well, it, it, it was strange because she, I suppose in a way it's the kind of the, the prostitute with the heart of gold, isn't it? And that, you know, that kind of oh so cliched story. And she obviously has quite a sad backstory, but again, I, I sort of I was questioning her sort of, you know, why was she going to get in with him? And that's kind of put me at a distance from her. And I just thought this is really strange. I'm not engaging on an emotional level, but like you said, I was completely transfixed as to what was going on in this film and these kind of little stories that were developing. I mean, like the other girl whose name I can't remember, but the the French girl that he kind of meets about ten minutes into the film, and we kind of go back to her. And it was it was little Marianne. things, yeah, 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 little things like that, which kind of happen in real life. Like yeah, you know, at festivals, you suddenly bump into someone on the Friday, and then on the Sunday, you see him again. And you go and have a beer with him and things like that. And these little kind of organically developing relationships, and it was just very interesting, kind of seeing seeing his relationship with her as well, because she was kind of like she could see what an asshole he was. But again, it was sort of like I was, I, was, I didn't find myself like shouting at the screen, like go away from him, he's going to do something awful. <laughs> I was just sort of like, what's going on here? But yeah, it's very, very strange kind of observational film that I'm always champion of this when you, you when I'm, I'm keenly aware of, I'm seeing something that I've not seen in a long time before. Hmm. And this, this felt like, so it felt very fresh to me. It felt like a very different, felt like a very different story that I was kind of watching. And for that reason, yeah, I, I was, I, I can only echo your sentiments. I was completely transfixed by it. Hmm. He's, whenever I'm meant to get close to Simon Kill, it seems, it seems like, Campos is constantly trying to detach us or distance us from Simon, even though, like visually, we always we're always giving his point of view, or we follow we follow him from behind and seeing his sort of um, eye line. But like the way he's kind of never revealed to us in his identity, he's always. The camera, even though it follows him, it seems to have its own set of rules. Um, there's an incredibly mumbled dialogue. And yeah. yeah it, it seems like he's our guide into this underworld of Paris nightlife, this CD world, but we're never meant to ident- oh, not identify, but we're never meant to um, um, understand what he's thinking. Yeah, well, I mean, you could, I mean, one of the films I was thinking about when I was watching this is like the talented Mr. Ripley. Yes. And you go into that film and you enjoy watching him scheme. And this is like Sofia Coppola's version yeah. of talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah, and you, you, you're watching kind of like Matt Damon in that film. I can't remember who plays it in the, the original. Um, uh, Alain Delon. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. And you, you're watching those and you sort of like, you don't like these people, but you like being with them and you like their deceitfulness and you like the fact that they're getting away with it. And that, that kind of film works on the basis that you don't really like Dickie Do. No one likes Dickie Do. He's a bit nuts. <laughs> and it, it's, so you can, you can, you can, you get in there and you feel, you, they, you're conspiratorially kind of going along with them. And Simon Killer is like, one, he's not very good at what he does anyway. I mean, he's a pathetically measly little person. You know, when he's kind of trying to bribe those uh, husbands and stuff, as soon as someone like turns and you know turns and he's like, no, no, please, God, you know, he, he's not even very good at what he, he's, his deception and he kind of like his lies. He kind of contradicts himself all the time. I mean, Marianne sort of finds much like, well, you know, didn't you thought you said your parents were divorced? You know, and this kind of thing. So he's not even very good at what he does, and you know, you sort of see him, you know, jacking off to porn and all this kind of stuff, and it's like. You just look at him thinking, oh, God, you're horrible. But mm. in a way, because it is this sort of journey through a kind of a side of Paris that you don't normally get to see. And this is one I think of films kind of triumphs, really. And it, it, it reminded me of the recent Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy film, in which you know, that film's set in London, but it's the greatest, most horrible version of London you've ever seen. And <laughs> whenever I think of Paris, I think of kind of sophistication and art and culture. And 
Simon Killer kind of skews that and shows you this really horrible side of Paris where it's, you know, prostitution, drugs, you know, manipulation. It's as far away from that view of Paris as you can possibly imagine. And even when you do see some of the landlight, some of the highlights, it's through this kind of bizarre filters and these kind of stereotypical effects. And it, it's just a really kind of strange film in that it, it really puts you at arms. Depth. It doesn't want you to really kind of get involved with these characters, but because of who they are, you find yourself doing that naturally anyway. And I think that probably says a little bit about the pe- people watching it, I suppose. <laughs> um, the, the sort of, um, or detachedness, you can, that's something that I noticed, uh, especially in that first night scene um, in the nightclub, when Simon and Nora, or Victoria, as she's called in the beginning, they're talking. And, <clears throat> the camera then pans over to one of the other prostitutes chatting up a man yeah, at the bar. And when it pans back, you see one of the girls just she's just sitting there in the next booth and she's just using her phone texting. And it, it speaks to that kind of... It seems that there's this everyday sort of quality of the film where it's, it's, nothing, it's nothing in particular, but it seems so, it seems so ordinary everything that's going on. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the simple facts matter, it is ordinary, it does go on, and it yeah. is, you know, it is, it is these, you know, these kind of bars do exist where it's very common to see, you know, lone men going in there paying for sex, you know, and if you're in that trade, I mean, it's, it, it's the little things like, I mean, when, when she comes home, she says, oh, she met a client in the hotel and he's really aggressive, mm. and it's like, has she just been beaten up or something like that? You know, you sort of, but because she's so, it's so ordinary and business-like, I think that's sort of the, the sadder aspect of it. I mean, I've been involved in um, doing some social care films at the moment, and it is that kind of darker side of Manchester. I, my, my perception of the town I live in, I love Manchester. It's a great place to live. I love going to the cinema in it. I love going out to bars and having fun with my friends and nightclubs and stuff like that. But there's, an, there's another side of Manchester which I've seen, which is prostitution, drug addiction, you know, domestic violence and all these types of things. And it's there. And it, it, what's so surprising is when you'll see... Um, girls who work you know, in, in brothels at night and on the streets and things like that, and then go and work in Tesco the next day and then yeah. go home to their abusive husband. And that's just a normal life. And, you know, they, 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 they go to work sometimes and they can't actually kind of sit on their chair because their, their husband punched them so hard in the stomach. and things. Like, you know, it goes on and it's, it's, it's horrible, but there is that side to life. And this is what I think Simon can it, It's taking part in that, uh, that, in that underworld. But obviously it's not as kind of... As, it's presented in such a business way that you, it kind of almost goes over your head a little bit, but it's still there. And I think that's one of the reasons why I found it sort of, in a way, it's kind of tourism as a way when you kind of look into that kind of world. And I think one of the things it does do really well, it avoids trying to kind of say anything kind of more profound than this is this. Is this. I don't think it's sort of this kind of call to arms that, you know, we've got to kind of, you know, these poor people, it doesn't sort of suggest, you know, Simon isn't like Travis Bickle, is he? He's not sort of on this kind of crusade. It's just he just inhibits this world for a little bit. And these girls, they make a living and, you know, life goes on. Yeah. I was in Amsterdam a couple of weeks ago. And when when you're walking through the red light district, you can see all these girls sitting in in the windows. And sometimes they're just sitting there with their phones, like texting. And you kind of... It kind of breaks that sort of illusion you get when when you see all these men walking past, mm. looking at them, and they're just sitting there texting, and it, it just it's it, it gets so many different images in your head. But it's it's a I feel like that's the sort of thing that this film is speaking to. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I've been I've been to Amsterdam, and, and you, you just sort of sit there looking at these girls, and they're they're not even ugly, are they? I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're like models, you know. What I mean, and you're sort of thinking, how, how's it come to this, you know? But then you sort of think to yourself, oh yeah, it's probably just a job to them, you know. It's 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 this nine to five existence. It's just they happen to have sex with drunken men, you know. It's just, <laughs> it's just, but I mean, it's just kind of it's, it's, it's spectacularly tragic, I think, in a way. Um, mm. And there's this sort of thing, isn't there? You know. Victoria, she, she doesn't. She's not asking to be saved, is she? No. That's the other thing. She's not sort of like you know, come on, you know, um, take me away from all this. Quite the contrary, you know. She, she even says to him, "Don't you? Yeah, you know, we'll meet outside. We can do this outside of here. You know, it's still the same price, but it'd be better." She has a regular list of clients. You know, 
she you know she, she goes shopping she does everything a normal person does it just happens to be that's the world that she lives in and it's interesting this kind of this simon character when he comes into it because you can tell he he's I think he's very, very unsure of it himself. I don't yeah. get the impression that he's kind of he's lived this type of life before. It seems to me that it's it has been growing inside of him, and seeing that he's come to a new place, it's sort of a a liminal stage in his life where it's transitioned from, uh, or it's a, it's it's something outside of his everyday existence, and yeah. therefore rules and conventions, they no longer apply to him. So he can kind of invent himself this new identity where he can be this sort of aggressive, this sort of extortionist, uh, this, he, he's, he's kind of revealing his lack of empathy, his parasitic nature, his awkwardness. Uh, yeah. It seems that he's no longer that, um, or there were traces of this. You can, we can find traces of this in the letters he has to his girlfriend, but it comes more to the forefront when it comes to Paris. Yeah. I, well, I mean, it's, it's that phase. We, we, it's reiterated several times throughout the film that he's a college leaver. Hmm. Is the, and I remember when I left, left university or college, whatever you want to call it, and it's sort of like my mother especially was like, kind of like expecting this sort of like, you know, massive transition. You, you, there seems to be this expectation as you as a person that suddenly you're going to suddenly leave college and that's it. Everything's going to be mapped out before you and you're going to know exactly where you're doing for life, you know, exactly what job you're going to be doing. You're going to, you've probably met your girlfriend who you're going to get married to. It's all ABC. Yeah, it's all mapped out for you. The reality is completely different. You leave, you're impoverished. It's bloody hard to get a job. You, most times you have to go back and live with your folks, which you don't want to do anyway. And, you know, it just, there's this massive come down after you leave university, you finish studying, you have to kind of get out there in the real world. And I think it takes a long time to sort of find out what you want to know. Some people, I went to university with someone who's a journalist, left university, went straight to become a journalist, fine. You, there's a lucky thing. But a lot of people go on a journey, you know. And a friend of mine worked um, in a shop for five years. He now owns his own TV production company. You know, you sort of get, it, takes, it takes a little time to go. I worked a few jobs that I hate and sort of in my 30s got what I call a career. And it, it takes time. And during that time, you, you are changing. You know, and you are kind of who you are changes. And I think Simon's going through this phase where he's obviously this kind of awkward kind of person anyway. But I think what's brilliant about this film is it almost feels like a prequel to what's to come. Because mm. I think we need to talk a little bit about the title Simon Killer is slightly, I think it's a little bit of misdirection because I suppose it's spoiler alert time now because he doesn't actually kill anyone in this film. You can probably say that if you take everything in the film literally. We haven't seen any scenes where he's imagining things so she wakes up at the end but you can interpret it as he's, that's a sort of image he gets in his head, it's sort of wishful thinking but there's nothing in the film that really points to that. Oh, I, I know. I, I'm, I'm convinced he hasn't actually done anything in this yeah. film. I think he's, he's, he's on that journey to yeah. becoming Simon the Killer. Yeah. And I think this is the sort of the, you know, the, this is the, 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 the groundwork is being laid. I mean, this, you can, he's he clearly he's very sexually, there's something going on there, isn't there? It's just extremely kind of strange for him. And he, he, he doesn't really, he's very awkward now. And he, and constantly referring to women in a negative context. I mean, he calls his, like, his ex-girlfriend a whore, doesn't he, right at the start yeah. and that kind of thing. And he treats them as these disposable items. And I think this film is about, I, I can imagine you could come back to this character and he will be a full-blown serial killer. I think that's, yeah. I think that's the direction it's going on. But I, the t- that was the time, because all while I was watching it, I was waiting for him to start killing someone. Hmm. I was waiting to see this little murderer you know, kind of getting up to no good. And that, that doesn't happen. And I think there was this sort of tension. I think it adds to the tension actually throughout it that you're not quite sure what he's going to do. But yeah, I, 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 I certainly think this is someone who is, who's on a journey which is going to lead somewhere very bad. Yeah. He's, you know that when the film ends, he's, a cap- he's capable of killing, even though he hasn't killed. But it isn't through his own, like... Mm, it isn't himself stopping himself no. that, that he's not a killer. It's because he couldn't, or he wasn't able to, like, come through with it. Yeah, I mean, he might have, yeah, I mean, he might have throttled her to the point where she passed out and just yeah. walked out of the room or something like that, but it's certainly there. And that was, that was yeah, that, that's one of the things I did love about it, because 
like I said, it's just an instant expectation, is it? You call a film Simon Killer. Yeah. And it has that almost like kind of thing Hitchcock would do. You know, you had those kind of like titles that were kind of you know, statements about the film, like Psycho, you know, Vertigo <laughs> and things like that. And here you have Simon Killer. So you're kind of going in there to, to, to watch this guy get up to no good and he actually doesn't. And I, that ending I thought was superb, actually. The feeling that this man, he, he comes off as so ordinary around him. Yeah. Uh, when, he, when he's standing in the passport um, check there. And you can definitely see that for, they keep talking about him, that he's a fox, and he yeah. sees himself as a lion. And I feel that that is an important key to the film, that he is really a sly, manipulative fox, but in his own mind, he's, 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 he's so much bigger, he's incredizing himself in his own mind, and he's, he's that more dangerous. Yeah, I mean, the other thing as well, and this is the thing, is that, in the film, he puts himself in this situation where he sort of becomes homeless. Because at the start, he's got that flat, hasn't he, he's with, his, with his friend. Yeah. So that he doesn't, we don't see him get kicked out or anything like that. And he seems to kind of go off on his own and then sort of, you know, invent himself as this homeless kind of traveller type of a person. And that only dawned on me at the end when he kind of goes back there later and, and you know, to, to pick up his stuff. And I was like, hang on a minute, you did have a nice place to stay and you've sort of gone out. And that, again, that sort of like freaked me out a little bit. It's a way to manipulate himself into Nora's life, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And um, it was, yeah, it was just a very, very subtle way of sort of saying that. And again, I think it's about these little kind of unspoken, subtle moments that kind of add up to make such an interesting experience. Mm. Yeah, we, we keep talking about how unlikable this character is, but it's kind of, there's this desperate kind of sadness inside him that makes me, if not, if not, uh, I'm not feeling sorry for him, but I'm least interested in seeing how far is this guy going to fall down the well. Like it seems that he's 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 finally going to roam free and he's going to act on these dark impulses. And you, you're interested in seeing how how far down the rabbit hole is this guy going to go? Well, do you know what it reminded me of in a way um, was Kubrick's Barry Lyndon, which is oh, it's been a while. Well, I mean, if you think about that film, it's about this rather stupid boy who manages through kind of good kind of manipulation and a bit of luck to kind of ascend society mm. and then goes and throws it all away. And the thing about Barry Lyndon is you never really like him. He's just a bit of an idiot. And <laughs> I, I felt the same about this, this guy. When I was watching it and I was sort of thinking, it's like the, you know, the rise and fall of, the, of, of this young man. And... I mean, again, I suppose we say it's for don't like him, but you don't need to like a character to become completely transfixed with them. And no. I think perhaps hats off to the performance as well mm. um, of, of, of Brady Corbett because it's, it's, it's very hard to pull off crazy. I mean, you can go down the Gary Oldman route and just shout and kind of throw your head around and talk apocalyptically. Or you can kind of go down this route. And it's the little things that he does that that's kind of like, sort of like whimpering that he does all of a sudden. And he's sort of like thinking, it just, it's really uncomfortable watching him do it. And, and it, there's no humor to it. He's not funny, is he, or anything like that. There's no, there's no sort of like yin to his yang. There's nothing there to sort of say like, you know, oh, well, he's got this little tick going. And it, the way he kind of talks to his mother, it's this really, really... Yeah, when he's talking to her on Skype, he's bent down. He can't look at her in the face, and at the end, he's just pleading for his mum. And he... yeah, and it's making this this kind of humming noise. Yeah, yeah, that's what's that really disturbing. Yeah, yeah, and it's it, it, you look. It's like a a kid who acts like that. You know, if a child, what well, he must be in his early twenties, but he still acts like this kind of like little boy almost. Yeah. And it, you, again, you wonder what what the story is with mum. You know, is there something kind of crazy going on there as well? The, the film, they kind of reminded me of, like, uh, Haneke films. And yeah. I know that Corbett, he played in the remake of uh, Funny Games. And you can definitely see that, that sort of, the uh, sort of tension and the anger and the violence all lurking beneath this sort of calm surface. Yeah, I suppose, do you know what, Murphy Haneke is a good, that's a really good uh, comparison to make, actually, because I'm not entirely sure I actually like his films. Um, they're, they're ordeals, I think I refer to them most of the time w w watching those. Um, but no, I mean, certainly, yeah, funny games, that sort of, that, 
that ever-present threat of yeah. that violence is just about to break up. And you know that something is going to push them one way or another. And you're just waiting for that sort of circumstance to come into play. And what I liked about the film was the pacing of it because we, we do, although we get to the point where he does become outwardly violent, it takes its time to get there. And this tension, it's like, you know, I mean, it's not a thriller as such, I suppose. I don't know what kind of how I would define this generically, but I, I, I was... Of age. Yeah, yeah, well, in a, in a bizarre way. But I was, I was acutely aware of when I was watching it that I was very tense, waiting for something to happen, like waiting for this guy to finally lose the plot. Hmm. And that really, I mean, that's when you've got a, a, a brilliant performance and great direction as well, because lots of the shots are quite long, and they're just sort of like you said, these kind of pans and these trap backs and things like that. And it, you feel very much like an observer in this film. And it, obviously you've been kept at that distance as well. And it was just so good to see as well. We've, we've not kind of like, you know, dramatic kind of cuts and chops and sort of, you know, cutting to his mad, crazy eyes or anything like that. It was just watching him getting more and more frustrated when he was having coffee with Marianne, for example, mm. and his phone kept ringing. Now, I've been in a situation like that where my phone hasn't stopped ringing. You're getting more and more annoyed with someone. Like, my brother's the master of it. He always rings me at the wrong time. And I hang up. He rings me back. It's like, Dan, go away. You know what I mean? And it, it, it sort of irritates me. You can see him getting more and more around. I thought, oh, my God, he's going to punch someone. He's going to do something stupid in a minute. And it, just, it, it didn't happen. And it sort of built it up. I thought it was brilliant like that. Yeah. This is probably a good place to start talking about the visual style. Yeah. Because it, you mentioned that it's kind of observing. And it, it's kind of this like CCTV footage or where, where it's, it seems incredibly um, static or static camera with just panning right to left, observing like a security camera. And this, this kind of restless, constant moving and drifting away from the drama on screen, it feels like he, he pans away from the dialogue to what they are talking about, but they keep... They keep talking off screen and it's, it's a way for us to sort of, it's another way for me to engage in the film by watching what they're watching, but hearing what they're talking about. Yeah. And I mean, this is the age of course of, you know, Michael Bay and Marvel and whatnot. And we're just used to this kind of fast paced, choppy, crazy action stuff, which, you know, headache inducing visuals and, Simon Killer doesn't do that. And, you know, Campus, I, I, I really, I mean, it's one of the things I probably love about this film the most is, is how it's directed. And just having the shots linger a little bit, you know, um, there's a scene where he's kind of walking through the streets and you see out of focus a group of guys and he kind of st- strolls out from behind this building. And they're like, what are you staring at? And he's there out of focus, but the camera just sort of follows him around and he starts kind of like pulling his hand along this... Um, yeah. Yeah, no, he pulls his face along the side of the building, doesn't he, to cut himself up and, you know... And, and the sand. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's it's like, what's he doing, you know? You're trying to sat there trying to kind of piece it all together and work out what's going on, and it's just a really... It's a really interesting and inventive way of doing a film like this, I find. Did you did you watch the, the supplements? I haven't uh, had... No, I didn't, actually. Okay, because um, there's a supplement with... Um, with Antonio Campos talking about this, the camera as an observer or the observing camera or something like that. And I know that uh, as the film has, it has received uh, severe criticism from uh, many reviews um, of this sort of, um, this, this sort of, uh, yeah, the word again, pretentious, uh, Campos sitting there talking about uh, the camera style and then how the, how the documentary or how the interview is conducted. But it, it, it talks about many of these things of observing and not being kind of locked into filming the drama that is happening on screen. Well, I mean, this is it. This is one of these kind of endless debates because, I mean, this, this is a film that's been directed by someone who's, who who knows what direction it who, who knows what direction he's got a very clear vision for, for the film and it, and there's a massive difference between a film that's directed and a film that's shot yeah and I think the vast majority of films that I watch especially again you know the Hollywood kind of the Marvel thing and these Star Wars prequels for example you know you're kind of seeing these people who are kind of being enlisted to film them they're 
there are people there to, to turn to to put to sort the camera out and to shoot, but not to direct. You know, they're not there to sort of add personality to these films. These Marvel films, they all look the same to me. I mean, the, the only one that sort of stood out really was probably the Avengers. I think, yeah, there was some kind of decent Josh Whedon stuff there. And the first four film, I, I thought... Like Winter Soldier, I can see the sort of 70s paranoia American film style kind of... To, to, to a degree, but I mean, if you but put it... It's all through Kevin Feige's uh, filter, yeah. Yeah, they're all through... They're all, they're all very much a generic look to them. Yeah. And yeah, it's very hard to find individuality. If was, I mean, there's, yeah, there's like little things like when he's sitting in, when he's waiting for um, Victoria to finish work and he's sat in that cafe and there's that very slow zoom in on him sat in the chair. You don't see zooms very much in cinema anymore. It's strange, yeah. Yeah, and people don't, and it's one of the sort of strange things, you know, people don't like zooms anymore and things <laughs> like that. Well, I mean, you know, it's a great little camera. It's a, it's a really nice way of filming a scene and in this case, it, the zoom goes on and on and on and it's slowly getting in on him. And, you know, a shooter wouldn't think like that. They would just turn up and say they'd just do a shot, reverse shot of them sat in the cafe talking, you know, boring, boring, boring. And I, to, to level the criticism that his direction is pretentious, just, again, I just lose interest in anyone's opinion when they start saying things like that. It doesn't seem like legitimate criticism to me. It just seems like this film's trying to do something a little bit different. I don't think it's trying to aim for the stars. I just think it's sort of, it's taking you on a character journey that perhaps isn't a very comfortable one. Hmm. And it's trying to do it in an inventive way. That's not pretentious. The, the, um, the color transitions, we, you talked about them or the epilepsy that you had. Yes. Um, how did, did you kind of have a different experience of them as they were progressing uh, further on in the film? Not really. I, I became acutely aware of them because you can't sort of get away from them, as no. it were. And I, I was kind of trying to think of like, you know, what was the, what were they sort of like, um, I don't know, like little postcards into his kind of mental state or something like that. But I don't know. I, I, I haven't really given them that much. So other than the fact that I was acutely aware of them, I haven't really kind of thought about them on a kind of deeper level. I mean, have you, have you had some thoughts on them? Um, when I watched it this second time, the first time I think it was just... Uh, pretty colors, <laughs> yes. sort of a sort of an inventive way of transitioning between scenes, and you can definitely see that it is relating to his his sort of emotional state or his mental state. But the second time around, it kind of reminded me of how people describe having migraines, where they get this, mm. this kind of flashes and these this pulsing, like sparking colors that come up, and it feels like this. This is another way for us to sort of get an insight into his mental state and how, because I think that almost every single time that you see these color transitions, you also see uh, Simon like holding his hands to his head or he's, he's sort of struggling with something. And, um, yeah, I, I really like the way that it kind of, it kind of punches the scene. Yeah. I, I guess it's interesting. I mean, it's, what, what is this guy's problem? Yeah, I mean, I mean, is he is he think, just a, is he just horrible? <laughs> I mean, or is he just? It seems he's lacking from some sort of psychosis or some sort of um, some sort of pathology. Um, yeah, uh, sociopath, psychopath. He's yeah. definitely lacking in empathy. So that's a deep uh, narcissistic tendency. So yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, there's clearly something very, very wrong with him. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's interesting. When, um, I mean. Kind of relating it back to his kind of this experience with, with his girlfriend or his ex girlfriend, and you know she she emails him back, doesn't she? And she says something like, you know, like, you, you, you scare me, and I don't want to see you anymore. Mm. And it's like you, you kind of wonder. I wonder how crazy he was with her. You know, it's sort of yeah. it's, it's this sort of like again, it's this kind of it's this world off this, off outside the film. And the bit that, that really got me about it was when she tell uh, Victoria tells him about how she came and got that scar and he keeps getting it wrong he keeps saying oh your son yeah your son this and your son that and that to me just kind of summed it up sums him up really yeah that he just he's completely he just doesn't listen he has no idea really and it's he sort of uses it because he thinks that's sort of like an emotional link to her you know that's something that will kind of elicit a response in her and it's kind of a good way of manipulating but it just completely falls flat because he's, he's totally misheard this story yeah, th- yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't, I don't think I picked up on that one. That he constantly gets it wrong. Yeah, he keeps saying, "Oh, yeah, um, yeah, this money for you, you can give it to your son and things like that." And it's like, yeah, yeah it's. Uh... 
another thing that I wanted to talk about was the, the use of music. Um, how, did you, um, how did you experience that one? Do you know what? I didn't really notice the music. Oh. That's a really, sh- I know that kind of, th- it's a bit strange. I didn't, it didn't really, I, I, I didn't, it didn't stick out for me really. It, that, that's just kind of a strange thing. I think I was so into the visuals of it that I'm, and just sort of kind of absorbing it. I didn't really, I didn't feel much towards the music. I didn't really have a, an opinion of it one way or the other, to be really honest with you. Hmm. Uh, the only thing that I, or the thoughts that I had was that he's constantly trying to, it, it's his playlist, right, right from his iPod. Yes, so that, yeah. that's the kind of soundtrack to the film. And it seems like he's, because he, he listens to a song and then he sort of skips to the next song halfway through. And it's, it's his own way of kind of trying to take control of the world, trying to set, set the mood in some sort of way. It's, it's his way of kind of engaging with us as the viewer, I feel. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean I, I, I didn't really have that, that, that kind of reaction to it. Hmm. Um, I sort of know what you mean in the fact that I have kind of, there's certain music that I listen to, um, which for, for my Spotify playlist, which when I'm walking through Manchester to work, for example, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a there's a few select songs that I always play because they because the sort of like the buildings around me kind of evoke this sort of you know, evoke yeah. this feeling in me and I, I, if, if that's kind of like the route you're going down I didn't really kind of get I, I didn't pick that up to be really honest. It'll be interesting, like your second viewing of this, mm-hmm. um, seeing as you felt, when you first get into this, you were sort of expecting this this sort of killing, yeah, uh, or this serial killer, and now that you know that that is not going to happen if the tension will still sustain itself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the other thing is, I mean, I love the, the, the poster for this as well. Yes. Um, that, that, that eye and that kind of that red eye. And it, it, again, it, it's, you, know, you you put an eye on anything. Eyes make me feel queasy anyway. So you see a huge, <laughs> a huge one, like looking back at you. I mean, it is quite, you know, that eye is looking out at you, isn't it? And it's, it's got kind of like a 70s font to it. It's a lovely, brilliant piece of artwork, actually. And uh, yeah, you're right. I think once I kind of go into this, I mean, now I know what I'm going to get and watching it again, I think it might, I'm looking forward to the second viewing. And it's a film that really kind of, um, it warrants second viewing. It reminds me a little bit of Godard's Breathless as well, in a way. Because you have these kind of, obviously it's set in Paris and all that kind of thing, but you have these kind of criminals who aren't very good at what they actually do. And it's kind of following them around. It's not as cool, obviously, as Breathless. But it, 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 it takes place in that kind of world, in a way. And it, it, it's, it's, the, it's little things that sort of stand out for me, which, on first viewing, I think, when I obviously I've got in loaded with expectation and sat there, like, thinking about other films like The Talented Mr. Rupin Berlin. And I think, well, yeah, now, now I can go in on it on its own terms. I, I'll be intrigued to see how I do react to it again. Because I, might, I, I, I can easily see myself not liking it, like going back to my initial feeling, you know, perhaps thinking ah. that it is a pretty empty film, you know, like, you know, suddenly going back to that thought, I don't know. The thing that I, because I, I had sort of a similar reaction where I, I had to decide that I, that I liked it. Um, there, were, there was things in there that just kept spurring on in my mind um, but going into it the second time I, I wasn't quite sure if it would sustain itself if, if the tension would be there and if the interest in the characters would be there as well but you can, I found that I've just found so many more layers in the film and I feel that you can definitely go back to it ever again and still find more things to see and just continually explore this kind of universe and this these sort of impenetrable characters the, the, what, the weird thing is about it strange things I wouldn't feel comfortable watching this film with a woman I think it's a film which I, I, I think I prefer to kind of like not watch it with anyone else because <laughs> it, it taps into this sort of hidden dark male kind of fantasy I, I think I would yeah it's one of these films where one, you have to turn, listen to it with the sound down, I discovered last night, because <laughs> uh, when, when you've got a home cinema cranked up quite high, there's some scenes in this film that you don't really want your neighbours hearing because they're going to jump to some very um, uh. strange str- strange cues. And I, I would just say, um, there's a film called Strangers by the Lake. I don't know if you've heard of that. I have, I have yeah. Um, I haven't seen another, it yet. 
yeah, it's a brilliant film. And it kind of reminded me of this a little bit, but that's another film, just a kind of a public warning out there. <laughs> it, it's a film about gaming in a cruising spot. Turn the volume down, guys. Because <laughs> if you are watching that film on your own, and it, yes, there's certain scenes which perhaps might give your neighbours the wrong impression about you if you think. But yeah, it's it's a, yeah, it's that kind. Of, it's a dark, sleazy film. It reminds me of Taxi Driver or something like that. I'm never quite comfortable watching. It. I remember watching Taxi Driver with my ex-girlfriend, and there's that bit where he takes her to a porn cinema. Oh, I, felt, yeah. <laughs> I felt really uncomfortable when I was watching it. I was like, oh, um, uh, getting everything. And and this is kind of like that. It's it's just sort of like, yeah. I think it would be. Um, uh, I think it'd be one which I'm, I'm going to kind of keep in my darker shelf. A lot of films like Irreversible. Yeah. It's that kind of... Um, I love it, but it's it's an ingratiating experience, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's strange, isn't it, films like this? Because I have the shelf, a selection of films on my shelf where I, I, I can't stand them, but I have to watch them. I mean, Irreversible's on that. I've watched that film about four times. Yeah. And each time I watch it, I'm like, why am I watching this film <laughs> again? Like, what, what am I going to get out of this? And I'm like, you know... I've got all the Disney films sat there. Just, just watch 101 Dalmatians again. Or watch Sleeping Beauty, a film that's going to make you feel good about these things. Put Enchanted on, that always makes you laugh. But it's like, no, no, I'm going to watch Irreversible. And as soon as that film starts, I'm like, here we go again. It's yeah. that horrible, horrible feeling. And Simon Killer, I think, belongs in that kind of subgenre of hell. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah... You can, you can imagine what the journalists, what the first scene they want to pick up when they talk to campus. You can imagine what that is. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean... Yeah. I, th- I think he talked about it explicitly that even though this is based on my own experience, I do not like a finger up my bum. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, again, it's not pleasant to see that, is it? But no. for some reason... <laughs> I can pretty much guarantee over the course of next year, I'll think, right, I'm going to watch Simon Killer again. <laughs> and, and I'll have a, a feast of film. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to watch them and have their, get a thumb stuck up their ass. You know, and it's, 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 it's a strange one. It, it, I, like, yeah, I think, you know, without getting kind of deeply psychological, there must be something about this that makes us want to go back to it. I know someone who counts Irreversible as one of their favourite films and watches it way more regularly it's like they're a completely normal member of society <laughs> yeah, and I know, yeah it's just it's just strange what is it about us that attracts us to this type of cinema i don't know it, yeah are we all closet psychos that's the i mean you're, you're a psychology student mm-hmm. yeah it's for, uh, at least from my own experience it's it's discovering or experiencing something that is so completely or vastly different from our own point of view so it is in that respect endlessly fascinating just seeing the we're always, we're always kind of interested in the darker side of humanity, even though we don't participate in it. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. ISIS in Iraq. Yeah. I mean, yeah, why, why do we, I mean, you know, what is it when they say they've been beheading people and stuff like that? What, what makes you carry on watching? When it says explicit content on those videos, exactly. on, the, on the news sites, why, do you, why don't you just go, oh, okay, I don't really need to see someone being beheaded or shot. I mean, I watched a documentary the other day about ISIS and I sat there watching Iraqi soldiers get shot in the back of their head and it's like you know it was horrible and horrific and I'm sat there thinking well why am I watching this you know, why do I continue to see yeah I don't want to see people's heads on spikes but you, you, it's amazing how tolerant you are of it in a way mm. so basically we're all fucking mental that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's a good way to end this <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that's, a, yeah so that's a cheery thought for a Saturday afternoon <laughs> I, was, I was sitting here thinking I'm doing alright now no, I've just had this depressing conversation <laughs> but no I mean yeah it, it's it, it's a fa- it's an endlessly fascinating film and I'm, I'm so glad that they've picked it up because yeah. it could have easily have who's going to really want to distribute this I mean you know I haven't seen any other distributors for this one other than Eureka I think mm. yeah so even not in Norway, not in not on the net, no, not anywhere. So yeah, and I mean, is it perhaps? I mean, you, yeah, this series is called the Masters of Cinema, hmm. you know, and that's a big statement, isn't it? You know, if you put a film in that collection, say it's, it's you know, one of the Masters of Cinema series, it's uh, it, it could have easily gone out on you know just plain old Eureka. You know, they didn't have to put this Masters of Cinema label in it, and. Um, I think that's a big statement, a big endorsement of this film as well, hmm. um, for its future longevity, certainly. And I and I think this is one which it certainly didn't do gangbuster numbers. I, I well, I I think it might have played in Manchester on one screen for a week. I don't know. I, I might not have even been that. I think I seem to recall. I think it came out in the cinema same time it came out on this. And t- 
to do that. And I think this is a film which will be picked up um, by people in the future. I think it'll be one that'll kind of stick around and kind of be rediscovered. Yeah, I hope so. It and it deserves to be. Yeah, I didn't have time to go through any of the supplements this time around. Uh, I remember watching them last year when I, when I got the film. And as I mentioned, the documentary about the observing camera, that is one that is uh, really interesting. And there's also this kind of fairytale style behind the scenes uh, footage where uh, someone has been following the shoot along and um, really, really interesting uh, uh, rehearsal footage and some uh, really interesting look at the, just the process of uh, filmmaking. And there's also an interview with uh, the mums, <laughs> with uh, Campus's mum. Right. Okay, well, Brady Corbett. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, haven't, I didn't have time to watch any of them either, but it's definitely one of the more loaded uh, Master Cinema releases when yeah. it comes to things. And just a quick word as well, I mean, I, I think it looks fantastic as well. It's a really yes. great transfer on this. And um, it, it's, it, it's not the picture postcard version of Paris you might be used to. But it's certainly a different way of looking at Paris. I think it's a very beautiful way as well. And it, the sound as well was really good on this. It was really clear and it was there. You kind of get this, you can hear that city and that kind of everything that's going on. So yeah, I, I'm really, really impressed with this release actually. And um, yeah, definitely it gets a full recommendation for me. I think it's, a, if, if you like kind of the darker side of cinema, I think this one is going to be something which you're kind of really warm to. A second that. Um, so um, where can we find you online, Tom? Um, you can find more of me on 24framescast.blogspot.com. You can find me on Twitter at 24framescast. Um, if you, I've, I've got so many different social network accounts now. I'm, I'm losing track of where I am. So go on the blog and I've put a link there and you've got everything you can find me on. I've started a Flickr page as well because I've got to learn photography for my job. So you can see my pathetic attempts in the world of uh, photography at the moment. I seem to be obsessed with clouds. I don't know what I don't know what that says about me personally. Um, whether I'm, I, I, I'm waiting for some kind of deeper psychological meaning of that, but I do seem to have a I do seem to take pictures of lots of clouds. So God knows what all that's about. But anyway, yeah, that's where you can find me. So do uh, come on over. I feel like clouds. That's the phase that every photographer goes through at some time or another. I remember it's easy. me as well going through that one. So it's easy, and there's, and because like it, Manchester is constantly covered in clouds, mm. it's it's an, they're an easy target. Um, but um, yeah, I seem to be obsessed as well with abandoned places, which I suppose is another one. Hmm. Um, thanks, but anyway, yeah. Yep. Um, you can find me uh, at moc underscore cast. You can send us an email at massivecinemacast at gmail.com. And you can find us on moccast.blogspot.com. So uh, until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. Bye. Bye.